Follow down with me, Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21. So Mark 1, starting verse 21. And as I sit here, I printed bulletins, but they're up in the printer. Thank you, Tara. Um, All right, verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. And he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the people in the room. God, we thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. I pray, Lord, that you give us humble hearts um, to consider the life and the ministry of Jesus. Help us, Jesus, to not um, take you lightly, I pray um, by your example we become uh, better and more faithful disciples of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever done something with the wrong motive? 
That seems like a, a silly, simple question, right? Because I think the answer is obviously yes. I think at all times, um, we, we do things with selfish ambition. So what, what are a few examples of this? Um, sometimes in my house currently, um, hopefully my wife doesn't listen to this. No one texts her this time and tell her to listen. Um, I will help out with more chores and do things around the house, hoping that I get a few extra points in the system so that I, when I ask to go golfing later, she'll be more inclined to say, absolutely. That works, by the way. That works, by the way. <laughs> you got lots of points this week. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so, like, but, like, let me ask you a question. Like, how often is our doing nice things or helpful things around our house or things for friends um, done for the simple fact that we hope to be noticed or we hope to get something out of it. How many of you, when you know there's like a big event coming up with some friends and, and you really want to go and you're not sure your parents are going to let you, so what you kind of do is you, you know, you, you do maybe like a, you kind of like, you start prepping like a week before, you know, you really start kind of getting on your game, and you start putting away your dishes, and mom, is there anything that's going to help you with? And your parents are kind of like, this person's acting like human. <laughs> like, they're actually acting like a decent person. And like three days later, hey, so there's this camping trip? <laughs> ah. Ah. You know, parents are smarter than you think they are. Um, you know, in, in one sense, like, I think back to these kids in my high school. I don't know if they have this club. If it's like, they call it Key Club. And I was like, what the heck is Key Club? Because I remember looking in the yearbook and seeing Key Club, and I was like, all the kids are like the 4.0s. I'm not going to lie, like, like the nerdy kids. Like, and I'm like, what? And so I, I went up to one of them. I was like, what do you guys do in Key Club? Like, do you make keys? Like, I'm like, I am so confused by what Key... They're like, no, 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 we do like community development. So we, like, earlier this year, we did like... Um, we went to a park and cleaned up all day Saturday. I'm like, for, for a club, you guys talk about how to pick up trash in the city. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, no one does that because they, I want to waste my lunch period once a week talking about how I can do things on my Saturday. That's right. You know, I just like, like, let's be honest. All of you are doing this because it looks really good on college applications. Yeah. I don't care what you say. You know, like, we all care about our community until it comes to giving up my Saturday morning. No, I don't care about my community that much, right? But let me ask you a question. Like, because it's not all bad, though, right? Like, sometimes our, our motives might be a little mixed. Um, but, yeah, even though maybe sometimes I, I should just want to be helpful, just to be helpful, like, there's still, I guess it's still helpful, even if I have some selfish motives. I think about that a lot, because in one sense, I, I don't know if, if we will ever be able to take out self-preservation from doing things, from engaging people. Like, I'm not going to lie, most of us probably wouldn't go to work unless they were going to give us something in return. Like, if you like just to work, like, for free, that's weird. So, like, when I was doing valet in Chicago, they're like, hey, we've got a really busy night, uh, try to be here by 4.30. Okay, that's fine. So I get there, and I sign in for 4.30. Like, oh, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, well, I'm signing in. I'm like, well, no, 4.30 starts till 5. 
oh, that's funny because you told me to come start work at 4.30. Like, yeah, but just kind of help, like, no, I come to work to get paid. And, uh, you know, every once in a while, if there's like a manager who's a friend who kind of was nice to me and it did favors for me, I would help him out sometimes maybe. But I'm not doing it just because, right? I think about that all the time. But when it comes to Jesus, is it okay to have those selfish motives? You know, we say, like, you know, for the most part, I, I, you know, yeah, there might be some selfish stuff there, but I, I, I want to follow Jesus because I need to follow Jesus, right? Like, how, how much do we take out the self-preservation aspect of it? Okay, like, in one sense, like, none of us want to go to hell, so we kind of, like, we care about our own self-preservation, we want to go to heaven, so yeah, I'm going to accept Jesus, but I still think that there, there's sometimes selfish reasons of why we decide to follow Jesus. There are things we can get from him, things that we maybe unintentionally or unthoughtfully think that being a disciple of Jesus means that I'm going to get X, Y, Z. And so the, the this passage that we read tonight, there's a lot of things happening, right? There's a number of healings. Um, and what's interesting is all of those verses we just read, 21 through 45, is a 24-hour time period. Look at what all Jesus was doing in his ministry. And they're just starting out. Like last week we just looked, he called the disciples, and then what it says, and then they went into Capernaum, and immediately they started teaching, you got this evil spirit, Okay, someone's mother-in-law is sick. Now the whole town is knocking at the door. And everywhere they're going, people are saying, Hey, Jesus, hey, we want some, we want some of this, and, and all this stuff. And along the way, what, what Mark is trying to say here is like, he's trying to give us a picture. They said yes to following Jesus. But now let's look at what a disciple kind of looks like. What should a disciple of Jesus expect, Right? If last week we kind of saw how, how Jesus is calling us to drop our nets and to follow him, we kind of like, okay, well, okay, I'm going to take a step of faith here. I'm going to follow Jesus. But, but what should I expect? And to, to give it away, I'll, I'll tell you kind of like the main point that I have for tonight. That following Jesus is never a license for self-serving, but for selfless service. Following Jesus is never a license for self what I want, but rather for selfless service. And there's going to be three aspects, I think, that, that this passage, we're going to kind of like, kind of look in all the different directions and kind of come up with these three aspects of what discipleship should happen in our lives when we follow Jesus. So, uh, the first thing of what discipleship should um, conjure up in our life, of what we should be aware of, of what should we expect when we follow Jesus, is this first thing, is that it invites opposition. Being a disciple of Jesus invites opposition. Look with me again, starting in verse 22. Okay, so they started, he came into the Sabbath, started teaching in verse 22, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority. Remember, chapters 1 through 3 are all kind of trying to build up the authority of Jesus. Right? So how is he going to show his authority? He's going to walk in right away, waste no time to the religious leaders. He's like, you know what? I'll show you what real authority looks like. And verse 23. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out. 
So, interesting. Let's just pause there. A small observation. So, calls the disciples. They go right into action. They go straight to the synagogue. The religious leaders, the scribes are. Jesus starts teaching. And the first thing we see is an unclean spirit out of a man. Kind of like, when I read this passage, I imagine kind of like a heckler in the crowd. So Jesus is up there teaching with authority, and probably there's people listening, and they're like, man, this dude's like, he's preaching it hard today. Like, man, where did this guy come from? And then an unclean spirit cries out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Now, what's interesting about the Gospels is usually they're, they're trying to communicate through story. They're not giving us every small little detail. Like, you know that, that point I just gave you, following Jesus is not a license for self-serving, but for self-service? We, we see that by reading and interpreting it. But, well, you think in a way it would be easier if Mark just said, hey, this is what you need to know for a disciple. Point A, point B, point C. Like sometimes we think that would be a little just better on time, I guess, right? But he, he spends a story, and he's talking about, and the first thing that happens is he kind of runs into someone opposing him. That's, that's fascinating to know, because here's the thing. None of us should be surprised by this. And I don't think people, I think people who aren't Christians know that there are plenty of people who oppose the Christian faith. But again, imagine if you're making this decision, I'm going to follow Jesus. And you think that, man, following Jesus is going to be the best thing in the world. I'm going to have, I, I had all these horrible days back in my life, and it just was, man, bad thing after bad thing. But now life, oh, I'm following Jesus. It's going to be so much better. Then what do we see? Oh, wait. What's up with like these demons not liking Jesus? What's up with like this? This kind of like weird thing where the, you know, have you come to destroy us? And Jesus is rebuking him and saying, be silent and come out of him. This is what I think John is immediately trying to draw attention to. That this discipleship thing with Jesus is going to run into opposition over and over and over again. This is what I want to tell you guys as high schoolers. Being a disciple of Jesus, there is an invisible war taking place. Jesus was not just fighting against Rome and the religious establishment of Judaism. He had a battle that was fought and waged against Satan and his forces. And let me tell you something. Like Peter, who we see in this passage, he's, he's being selfish, he's trying to save his mother-in-law. Jesus is about to die on the cross, and he says, Hey, Peter, Satan is asked to, to whisk you like hay just to get you, but I have prayed for you. Do you know what's interesting? Is that Jesus tells his own disciples, like, listen, the devil is after you specifically. And being a disciple, guys, I want to tell you something. In high school, in the 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, it is sometimes not always a stroll in the park. This is a dumb movie I used to watch. I didn't used to watch. I watched it once with my wife. And it's like, describe your perfect date. It's like a beauty contest. And then some, some girls are like, yeah, 
I'd like to go to a nice romantic dinner and then walk the beach afterwards and have nice dessert and you know and then the next girl she was blonde sorry she's like perfect date is like April 28th where it's it's not too hot not too cold and it's perfect jacket weather right it's like oh geez um, that was one part of the movie where I laughed right yes I wasn't gonna say it um, but that's it so sometimes, I, I, in, in a way, we think that when I become a disciple of Jesus, it's going to be like April 28th. It's just, it's going to be the perfect temperature. Nothing bad is going to happen. But let me tell you guys something. Listen. Some of you struggle with apathy in your faith. Some of you have um, habitual sin. Some of you just have downright lousy things that have happened to you in your life. And in a way, I want to say, like, all of those things at times hurt or slow down or get in the way of us being a disciple of Jesus. Like, there, there are things in your, in your heart, there, there are things that happen to you, that there is Satan and his forces that want to oppose you following Jesus. But Jesus has the authority to call out this demon and he commands him not to say anything. And that's going to be interesting in a minute. But let me just say something really quick. Jesus desires to redeem all people back to himself. Jesus desires to restore the brokenness of this world. Jesus, let me, let me tell you something. Jesus wants to bring peace and reconciliation to broken marriages. Jesus wants to defend the orphan. Jesus wants to see a world in which there aren't corrupt governments and there aren't vicious wars. Let me tell you something. Jesus wants to bring a world in which heaven comes down and things are the way they should be. Like Jesus wants everyone to live in safety and peace and have a relationship with their God. So why then does the world oppose him so much? Right? Why are, so, why are people so bent against the mission and message of Jesus? And that should be simple reading this. And therefore, for us, you have to know that being a disciple will always invite opposition. Whether that be from your own heart and your own sinfulness. Whether that be from things that happen to you. Whether that be from Satan himself and his workers. But let us be clear. Let us, let us take the, the lead from Mark that he's trying to say, hey, listen, something you can expect from being a disciple of Jesus is that it invites opposition into your life. The second expectation, though, that should happen in life of a disciple is that it should ignite service. That it should ignite service. Okay, so for this one, we're going to kind of, we're going to hop around a little bit, okay? So go ahead and, and look at verse uh, 32 with me. Um. That evening at sundown, they brought uh, to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So um, also, if you kind of look down at verse with me, uh, verse 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Hey, man, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let us 
go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came. So let me kind of explain a little bit of what's happening in this passage, okay? So you have three major parties. You have the crowds, you have the disciples, and you have Jesus himself, right? And so kind of what happens is Jesus kind of launches out, does this miracle, and it seems like everyone is crowding in on him. So the crowds, they seem like, man, like everywhere is hearing about this Jesus and how he's just like the miracle worker. Man, he'll touch your, your, your nasty foot and he'll make it better, I guarantee you, man. You got to go find this Jesus. Like, hey, your boy's freaking out and speaking in, like, uh, what's, like, the snake language in Harry Potter? Apostle tongue? Yeah, right? Like, some demonic stuff going on. Take him to Jesus. I'm sure he'll fix them, right? So everyone's just mobbing around Jesus. Like, he's, like, like the new candy shop land. Like, just, like, everyone wants a piece of the candy shop, right? And imagine in a land before they had candy. So they're like, this is really awesome. I want this. And so a typical day for Jesus is people constantly coming to him for things. You catch that? They just keep coming. They just keep coming. They just want something from him. They want something from him. Look at the disciples now. Um, look at verse, uh, verse 29 with me. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John now Simon, which is Peter, right, Cephas, his mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately told him about her. So listen, even the disciples are like, hey man, we know you. Take care of, take care of my, my mother-in-law, dude. She's hurt. She, she needs your help. Like, think of that, like, that prestige of power that you would have. Like when you, when you know someone who's like super famous, like I'll, I'll give like a very small, no one's famous in this story, but like I remember... Um, my good friend Michael Hauser, uh, you know, I think someone was like bragging once about like, oh, I know this guy. He runs like hundred mile races and da 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 da, and he's super awesome. And he's like, he's a, he's a captain in the army, and he's like making him. And the people listening are like, wow, this guy's really great. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah. Before he was your friend, he's my friend. <laughs> like I know him more. Like, like it's I took this pride in that like, well, well, he's my best friend. You just know him in a smaller way. Like, I think that's in the way the disciples look at Jesus. Like, oh, yeah, you like Jesus? But guess what? I'm his follower. I follow him around everywhere. And so it's kind of like, it's like taking the candy shop with you. And you kind of, since you kind of are like that place of privilege, you get to kind of stick your hand in a little bit more, take some more of that goodies, right? So let me, this, here's the contrast here. The disciples and the crowd included are just simply coming to Jesus for things that they want. They just, whatever they, they can get Jesus to do for them, like a vending machine. I think for, I think for a second, um, what would it have been like before modern medicine to see such miraculous healing? What would it be like to maybe have a little daughter who was lame from the time of birth? And for nine years, see her suffer and struggle. And you hear about a man from Shelton or Tanina who can heal. And so you, you make this long journey, and you see a huge crowd of people clamoring about this Jesus. 
What would it be like for someone to, to have this really good concern and care? But here's the thing. When everyone's looking for Jesus, he goes out to pray, which, I, by the way, just a side note, I didn't know how to stick this point in, in the message. If you look down at verse 35, and rising very early in the morning, <clears throat> while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. In the, in the midst of, you know, you think, you think you're busy? And you don't have time to pray or read your Bible? Jesus, every single day, had people following him. And he, he made it a priority to be with his father, to pray, to, to maybe to, to, to draw on this Holy Spirit power of how he could even go and minister. He needed to be charged just as much as we did. It's, it's a picture of his humanity. But here's the thing. You have to ask yourself, why do these people want Jesus? And more than that, you have to ask yourself the question of why do you want Jesus? Whenever you made the decision, and maybe you haven't yet, why, why did you, or why do you follow Jesus? What is it like these people that we want to get out of Jesus? What, 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 how could he help me in my life? What, what are some modern day examples for us, like maybe like the crowds and, and like the disciples, or we use Jesus maybe for more of our own selfish motives. Maybe we want just like a quick fix to life. I had this, you know, Bible promise book in high school, and if there's ever an issue, I kind of just like pop open, find like the issue, find this one little cherry picked Bible verse somewhere, and I'm like, okay, so if I want to do better in this, I just gotta do this. A little quick fix to how to deal with rough parents, right? What are some other modern-day examples? Maybe, I mean, I, I've heard it before. Maybe, maybe you can think of yourself. Like, the reason I follow Jesus is because hell sounds really bad. You know, like, you know, like, like it's not that like, I'm against following Jesus and, like, being on mission and serving for him, but really, you know, I just kind of didn't want to go to hell. And so, yeah, I... Keep it at that, I guess. And so I, I think for, for a lot of us, that's maybe not, maybe not a question we've thought of before. But I, I think if we're maybe just can be honest for a second with ourselves and we, we try to become self-aware, what are the things that you run to Jesus for when you do run to him? Help on a math test? About to get caught? secret sin or a mistake you did or you lied and you feel lonely you're frustrated at the world's problem I mean what is it that you're looking is Jesus just there as like a good crying buddy someone to talk to and you get bored genie in a bottle What should a disciple be doing? And here's the thing. We get a small little picture. It's weird how Mark does it. He just like, throws it right in the middle, and, and, you, and you, you might miss it. Look down with me. <clears throat> Verse 30. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately told him about her. 
And he came to her, took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her right here. And she began to serve them. So whatever her name is, Peter's mother-in-law, is the one picture in this passage of what Jesus is looking for in a disciple. Even his disciples don't get it. The crowds certainly don't get it, but she gets it. That when Jesus rescues us, when Jesus saves us, the thing that should ignite in our heart is never, what can I get out of Jesus? But rather, what can I do for Jesus? It should ignite service in our heart. Listen, we don't see this explicitly, we see it implicitly. And we see it later on in the epistles, we see it all over the New Testament. We see Philippians 2, where Christ did not consider his own interest, but the interest of others. We see Paul saying, listen, guys, love one another, love is patient, love is kind. And what he is saying over and over again is that love, service, is really a self-sacrificial commitment to others. That Mark is trying to say, listen, a lot of people came to Jesus just to get something. Even the disciples, they, they, they went to Jesus. They, they tried to use him for their own selfish things. And they tried just to make Jesus kind of their own little God. They liked the popularity, right? The disciples like, hey, man, everyone's looking for you. They thought that this disciple God, this, this guy that they're following, was just someone to, to get behind the big movement. But consider Jesus. Consider how, when we think about his death and resurrection, we consider that he is the only person who has answered the praise of God fully. And that when our hearts are full of gratitude towards Jesus, because we know that he is the only person who ever, fully in his heart with a 100% commitment, served others instead of desiring to be served. Let's say, let us be encouraged by the example of Jesus, but let us also be challenged by it. For the life of a disciple, it is not to look at Jesus and say, hey man, what can you do for me? How can you help me have a good life so I can get into a good college and have everything fall? But Jesus, what, what can I do for you? Right? Isn't that what we talked about last week a little bit? Jesus is asking that you would make him, your first and greatest priority. Last thing, what should we expect for a disciple? And it should involve mission. It should be involved in mission. I love that we're doing this thing called M&Ms. And you know what? It's okay if it's a slow start, but I'm convinced that the more we... We bring it before our attention. The more we remind ourselves that Jesus has called us into mission, the better. And the more you guys hear stories of how God is, is using the people in these very seats to, to live on mission, the better. So Jesus did not come to earth simply to have a big following. He did not come to just have miracles. matter of fact, if you go ahead and, and look down with me at verse 38, and he said to them, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for, for that is why I came out. Jesus, hey, everyone's looking for you, man. This guy has traveled nine, nine days with his lame daughter. They're looking for you. Jesus, come on, man. Like, 
This dude is sick. This, this little girl needs help. And Jesus says, no, we need, to, we need to keep going. And you can't think like, man, why? He says, I need to go to the other towns so let me preach there also. And this is, this is the point. I only got a few minutes left, but here's, here's what I'm saying. Mark is trying to show us that Jesus, although he cares about the felt needs of the people, his bigger mission is bringing forth the mission of God to all people. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus left heaven's glory, came down as a baby in a manger just to heal a few lepers, to cast out a few demons? Was Jesus' mission simply that of social justice? Simply that of a Samaritan's purse or a hospital? Was Jesus, did he, did he leave heaven's glory just to have a bunch of people follow him and think that he's super great? Did you catch when he, he told the demon to be quiet? Did you catch that? I always wonder that, well, why? Why? So even, look, go ahead and look down at verse uh, 43. So Jesus hails this other leper, and he says in, in verse 43, And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. Why is Jesus so secretive? Why is he always, I mean, we'll, we'll read this over and over and over again in Mark. He's constantly telling people, hey, Tell the demons, hey, shut up, dude. Don't tell anyone. Tell these people, hey, I healed you. Okay, go do what the law of Moses requires, but just don't tell anyone. Like, you would think Jesus wants everyone to hear about how the Messiah is here. But here's why I think Jesus tells them to not say anything. Because he doesn't want his mission to be characterized simply by doing miracles. Jesus' mission should never be characterized by simply good works. Jesus' mission should never be synonymous only with helping people's health. Jesus was concerned that if too many people heard about a miracle worker, that they would have a misunderstanding of why he was actually there. That he was not there primarily to heal your mother-in-law. That he did not leave heaven's glory just to help this leper. But he has a mission, and his mission is to bring the kingdom of God, and his mission is to save sinners, and his mission is to fulfill all righteousness, and his mission would one day be the very heart of a disciple, like we said earlier, to not do what is selfish, but to selfishly serve by dying on a cross. But Jesus is far more gracious and compassionate than we are, right? Imagine Jesus. Jesus is sitting here like, you know, I'm, I only got a short amount of time to do my ministry. Like disciples of mine, like, listen, we, we got to keep going. We have to, we have to be on mission. Like, I, I need to tell as many people as I can. Like, I, I just can't be a, a walking, talking hospital. Like, I, I've come here to to preach the good news about the kingdom of God, and its inauguration. But what happens? Verse forty. And a leper came to him, imploring him 
and kneeling said to him, Hey, Jesus, 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 if you're willing, if you will, you can make me clean. That should be the picture of all of us. What does it say? I just love this passage so much. Moved with pity. See, listen. Jesus, he knows he's on a mission. He knows he's not there primarily to heal this leper. But he can't help it. He still, he still makes times for the felt need. He still cares to make sure that, that, that this leper who... Jesus, if you're willing. You know, some other gospel, Jesus responds to the same guy. says, if I'm, if I'm willing, if, if I'm able... Jesus stretches out his hand and touched him and said, hey, I will be clean. See, even though Jesus is on mission and he needs to keep moving forward and he's not there primarily to give us what we want, he still stops and listen. He cares about your science test. He cares about when you have a blowout tire and you're struggling to find money. To get it fixed. He cares about the silly drama of your life with your parents or your friends. Like this, this message can be a little hard. And maybe the first time you're hearing, like, hey, you want to know something? Being a disciple, it's not all about you anymore. It's, uh, the heart of a disciple doesn't say, hey, Jesus, what, what can you give me? Rather, it's to say, I, I, I'm going to you know, realize there's going to be opposition. My heart's going to be ignited to service. I realize that it's going to involve mission, which I need to go out and, and reach people. But listen, like, either for the first time or maybe you've been a disciple for a long time and you realize that sometimes you make the Christian life more about you. You think more about your comfort. You think more about who's going to be a youth group and am I going to feel awkward there if I don't have anyone to talk to? You know, we, we, we think so much about the, the church about how, how good was the music? Did, did Aaron preach okay? Well, they didn't play games tonight. That's super lame. I hate that. That's the worst. I'm going to stomp it on the ground. I'm going to keep talking about it because it's how angry I am. I'm just kidding. But let me tell you, like, does following Jesus, does that have a priority in your heart? In which you say, you know, I, I'm going to pursue the mission of Christ. I, I'm going to live a radical life of service. Like, listen, no one is stopping you from a, a high schooler of being involved in service. Like, we're going to go to Mexico next summer. We, we try to do things throughout the year where we, we say, listen, as Christ followers, we desire to live a life in which we say, it's not about us. It's about him and what we can do for him. But let me just say one thing. There is grace for us when we fail. There is grace for you when, when, when Christ gently confronts us and he puts his hand on our shoulder, figuratively speaking, and he says, daughter or son, don't forget, the heart of a disciple is the heart of someone it was not all about self-giving. What can you give me? But rather, it's, it's the heart of someone who commits to a life of selfless service. Says, 
in Jesus, I have been given everything that I could hope for or want. And therefore, because of that, I realize that as a disciple, that invites opposition. It's going to be hard at times. But you know what? Because of what Jesus has done, because he has saved me, and just like Peter's mother-in-law, that's going to ignite my heart towards service. And you know what that means? That means it's going to involve mission. It's going to be, be me actually realizing that I need to get out of the way sometimes and stop making it about me and pursue making the kingdom of God known to others. So if, if Mark had your ear, he'd say, hey, I want you to follow Jesus, but hey, I want you to know that you can expect a few things. Expect opposition. Expect for your needs not always to be met because the heart of a servant, of a disciple, has service in it. And just like the Lord's Prayer, sometimes we need to lay down our own mission and our own will and pick up His. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for this portion of scripture. And I just ask, Father, that you would ignite our hearts um, to consider Jesus. Who did not consider his own interest, but lay down his life. Um, I ask, Lord, that you would raise up young people in this room who would live a life of selfless service committed to the mission of God, even though opposition may surround them. Lord, I pray you give us strength. You give us faith in our unbelief. Help us to be like the leper who boldly ask if you would make us clean. Jesus, we thank you that because of your blood spilled on the cross, because of your righteousness, because of your resurrection and ascension, we can know with all confidence that we are declared right with you. Help us to rejoice in that truth. Help us to, to make it the thought that would comfort us at all times. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.